to learn more and get started. That's gatewaycc.edu slash broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Kayla Mortolaro with you. It is the extra point up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Suggest right now, if you haven't already done so, to download the KDOS1060 app. Register and follow along with the listener rewards opportunities for you with $100 potentially on the line courtesy of Superbook Sports. That's happening now through the rest of September. As we typically do, let's set the scene with today's poll questions and we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question. And, you know, we have one week of football in the books for the NFL, so naturally... How do the teams shake out? Should the 49ers be ranked number one in the NFL power rankings? And resoundingly, overwhelmingly, this has not changed. Yes leads the way at 100% of the vote. Nate Davis will be happy to see this. Uh, We had Nate on frequent sports zone guest and extra point guest over the years. Had him on Monday. I had a pretty good idea after we talked to Nate on Monday that he was going to move the Niners up to number one, and he did. They went from fourth to first. I thought that the Jets, you know, I mean, this is before the Aaron Rodgers injury, obviously, on Monday night, thought the Jets might have a chance because uh, Nate was high on the Jets. I assume he's not as high on the Jets now uh, after the horrible injury to Rodgers. Uh, but I thought maybe had the Jets won impressively with Rodgers, uh, from start to finish against the Bills on Monday night that I thought they were the only team that Nate might consider moving ahead of the 49ers. We will answer that question and we'll also dive into his power rankings and kind of what we saw from each particular team uh during week one a little bit later on in the show but we'll specifically answer the question around 11:30 today so still time for you to cast your vote and if you're on the no side Give it some love. Over on Twitter, at KDOS AM 1060, <laughs> who wins the American League West? Bob had a great conversation talking all things baseball, and Zach Kreiser from Yahoo Sports also dissecting this AL West. So who wins, Houston, Seattle, or Texas? Houston remains in the lead at 62.5% of the vote, Seattle at 25%, and Texas trailing at 12.5% of the vote. Yeah, we covered all three of these teams with uh, Zach, among other things. We did. Uh, it turned it turned out to be pretty much an American League West and uh, and uh, basically a National League Wild Card discussion, which is fine because it's lots of teams. It's seven teams right there, uh, so that's pretty much what we discussed. Actually, eight teams right there. Uh, so anyway, uh, as far as this division, the Astros, after amazingly somehow losing the last two nights at home to last place Oakland. Uh, with uh, Framber Valdez and Justin Verlander as the starting pitchers the last two nights. They lost both those games, but they still do lead the division. They're only a 500 team at home now, which is amazing, uh, but they still lead the division at 82 and 64. 
Texas has now won four in a row, including the last two nights at Toronto against the Blue Jays. They're sitting at 80-65 and 65 in Seattle, which looked like it was the best team in this division and you know, really since July the 1st until like eight days ago, and I believe it until last night they lost seven out of eight or something like that. They win last night like 100 to zero against the Angels, uh, but Seattle now is in third place in the division at 80 and 65. We will also answer that question around um, 11:30 today. Let's get things started here, though. First of all, if you'd like to join the program, you can today, 10:30 and 11:15, 602-260-1060 is the number. 602-260-1060. Let's get started, though, with the Arizona Cardinals. Their preparations for the New York Giants start this week. If you're interested, right now, the early look: the Giants minus six, Cardinals plus six, over/under sitting at 39 and a half. But first, we have to go back to last week as the coordinators met the media yesterday with some of their observations and I think it was curious to note some of the things that offensive coordinator Drew Petting had to say about what he saw from Josh Dobbs as a reminder the stat line for Dobbs 21 of 30 132 yards three sacks he did have two fumbles lost so what did you see from Josh Dobbs well Drew Petting here said yeah he got in and out of the huddle really well had good command of the offense so really excited about the progress he made and look for that to continue here this this week. In addition to that, Petzing was asked if the game plan was more conservative because Dobbs was the quarterback and really the lack of preparation and time he had had with the team leading up to week one. Quote, I think every game comes up different from that standpoint, whether it's the quarterback, the opponent, or what we think we need to do to win the game. The plan is always kind of going to be based around the principles, and I don't think Sunday was any different. Yeah, well, I think he was, you know, Petzing was really limited as what he could do because the offensive line was so bad that they had to run basically any pass play had to be, you know, get rid of the ball as fast as humanly possible so your quarterback doesn't get killed. You know, it's interesting here because I, you know, it's always interesting and fascinating to me to see what some of the metrics say and how that matches up with the eye test. I know I'm a little bit more on the statistics and the, the metric side than you are. And so it's just kind of trying to figure out what that balance is and, and how to make that all work. So I thought it would be interesting to see what the ESPN analytics were on the offensive side of the ball for the Arizona Cardinals. And when you look, though, at uh, what their pass block win rate was, According to ESPN, the analytics for this, you have to hold your block for at least two and a half seconds or longer. And the Arizona Cardinals ranked 24th in that category, holding their block as a team collectively 48% of the, the win rate there. That's actually higher than I would have thought. Uh, but there was an awful lot of bad offensive line play in week one throughout the league. I'm guessing Washington was equally as bad. I thought that they might be two of the five worst in the league, at least just watching games. And I watched that game closer than any game, however, so maybe I'm a little bit skewed. But it didn't seem like either offensive line – first up, I don't think either offensive line is good to begin with. And I just think uh, you know, Sunday just kind of confirmed my suspicions on the uh, level of offensive line play from the Commanders and the Cardinals. Uh, so, you know, I have no problem with the metrics, but I'd like to have it match up with what I think I see. And uh, so I'm actually surprised it was that high because I thought it was worse. Uh, maybe they just didn't watch Paris Johnson, who seemingly never blocked anybody the entire game. 
More from Petzing here. He was asked if he was disappointed with how things went in the first game, and he said here, uh, yeah, my mindset is always going to be if they score more points than us somewhere along the line, I'm going to be disappointed. And whether that's a ton of points or a small amount of points, my goal is to score one more than they do. And for whatever reason on Sunday, we didn't do it. So I think there is certainly some disappointment in that, but there is a lot of things to be encouraged about in terms of how guys performed individually, in terms of the way we handled the road environment, so I think there is some stuff to build on. But my message to those guys is we can be disappointed, but we're not down. And I think that has to be our mindset. Uh, time out. I think that's kind of a loaded question to begin with. They didn't score an offensive touchdown, God forbid. Uh, yeah, they didn't. Uh, they scored a bunch of field goals offensively, and the one touchdown came uh, on, a, on a strip sack there for the yeah, defense. So, so how is he supposed to answer that question? I, I guess exactly how he did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so exactly. So there's that. I, I, I've said this in the preseason, said it on Monday, and I guess I'm probably going to say it for the next 16 games. The Cardinals actually have some guys, skilled players that can make some plays. But will their quarterback, whoever it is, or the offensive line allow those guys to you know, show their, show their skills? You know, that's interesting because I, we talked a little bit about it on Monday and we saw them have some attempt at innovation there, getting the ball in the hands of Hollywood Brown, Rondell Moore, uh, just getting it in their hands, trying any way in which to do that to capitalize on their speed and their playmaking ability if it is unable to push the ball down the field. So finding ways to uh, get the ball in their hands and have some explosive plays. And I thought it was interesting that we didn't really see that in the second half. So I was kind of curious if it was something that the commanders were doing defensively to not really allow for those types of I don't want to call them trick plays because they're not trick plays, but just getting the ball into their hands in space to, to make them utilize their dynamic ability here. Petzing, though, was asked about explosive plays, and he said here, generally when you're creating explosive plays, you're creating points. So we are going to look for creative ways to try to find and generate them. Certainly we have some players that we think are capable of doing that, so that's going to continue to be an emphasis every week. Yeah, I think that makes sense. You know, the other thing is, you know, the commanders, we said this before the game, uh, they got a good defense, not just their front four. You know, their front, their back seven, I think, is underrated. And uh, that's got, that area has gotten better in their, uh, you know, on their defense the last couple of years. They're good. Um, it'll be interesting this week against the Giants, who have some good players on defense. They have some you know, borderline elite players on defense. But they've also got two rookie corners. They've got some safeties, and I'm not real sure if they're anything than just kind of above average. So I would be very disappointed if the Cardinals don't get the ball to some of those guys we just talked about and create you know, more possibilities for bigger plays this week. If, if we're back here next week talking about how their offense was just anemic again, then I think there's even more reason for concern, God forbid, than I think it there is. And, and, and I'm, there can't be a human being that's more down the Cardinals, you know, pretty much since the end of last season uh, than me. But uh, if, if, if we're still having a discussion next week about them, just, just or can they do anything on offense if we're having that discussion, then I think that they're even worse than I think they are. 
And finally, here he was asked, he being offensive coordinator Drew Petzing, uh, where do you want to see Joshua Dobbs improve this week? He said here, the operation in and out of the huddle, even being cleaner, crisper, a little bit more concise. And then I think just the familiarity with where guys are coming out of their breaks, where they are going to be down the field, how that relates to what we're trying to accomplish relative to, to the defense we are attacking. I think listening to that here kind of put into perspective a little bit that I wanted to see them try to push the ball down the field a little bit more. And in preseason games, that that was something that Clayton Toon certainly was not afraid to do. And so I was a little uh, disappointed that we didn't see that in week one. But it does make sense because he didn't have those reps to be able to understand where his receiver is going to be. If you push the ball down the field a little bit too much too early, maybe uh, you put yourself in position for too many mistakes. I understand the push the ball down the field thing, but if you're getting hit like the second you snap, get the snap from center, you're not going to be able to push the ball down the field. This all comes down is they got to block somebody, uh, no matter what week it is. And if you're not going to block anybody, whether the quarterback's been here for 10 years or two weeks, it doesn't matter. We will get into the defensive side of the ball on the other side of the break. Nick Rawless met the media, and uh, you guessed it, I have the Pash rush win rate metrics to go along with you know the cardinals had what six sacks in week one so how did their pass rush god that is a tongue twister pass rush win rate metrics from espn did that hold up to what they were able to accomplish on the defensive side of the ball so we'll dive into that and hear from uh nick rawless and what some of his comments were from yesterday as the cardinals are preparing to face the new york giants in their home opener this Sunday from State Farm Stadium. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Every Monday night, check out Ray Adams as he hosts the Monday Night Golf and Lifestyle Show from 6 to 7 p.m. here on KDUS AM 1060. Join the 18-hole Lombardi Southwest Open on Saturday, September 16th to raise money for cancer prevention, care, and a cure. If you're not a golfer, there's still plenty for you to be involved in on Saturday, September 16th. You can join the Lombardi Foundation for a fun night at the Kick Cancer's Tailgate Bash, hosted poolside at the resort. The night will feature music, complimentary food and drinks, raffles, silent auction, and so much more. So grab your tickets today at the Lombardi Foundation org slash Lombardi dash Southwest dash open Lombardi foundation dot org slash Lombardi dash Southwest dash open continuing our Arizona Cardinals conversation here defensive coordinator Nick Rollis met the media yesterday so some takeaways from what he had to say the Cardinals had a strong defensive performance metrically with their six sacks they scored a touchdown on defense as well uh, had some interceptions etc so the thing that had been the conversation heading into week one was the defensive rotation and how that was going to look and I mean the defensive rotation in terms of 
the front that they were going to be uh, imploring. So he was asked about uh, what that defensive front rotation looked like, how they how they all came together to make that decision. Nick Rollis said yesterday, yeah, it's put together collectively as a staff. I learned it best from JG because he is adamant that you have a jersey on game day as a front player and you know these guys are working hard in the trenches. They all got to play, all have to rotate, and you have to keep them fresh. Well, I'm pretty sure that Gannon stole that from the from the Eagles. You know, no team had a better, deeper crop of, you know, not just deep down defensive linemen, but outside rushers and so forth than the Eagles last year, at least during the regular season, the Eagles. Uh, so, and uh, I think it was kind of back in the, you know, the, you know, the uh, NASCAR package with the Giants uh, back uh, when, uh, you know, they were basically, you know, they, were, they would use like seven or eight guys. And uh, basically, if you have defensive linemen, if they're active, they should be playing. And I think the Cardinals, you know, just based on what I heard from Gannon after the game on Sunday, uh, and what you just talked about from yesterday, I assume that they're kind of using that same kind of uh, you know, approach. Uh, they're probably they're le- the level of player, not quite as good as last year's Eagles, who had 60 sacks amongst their defensive front uh, last year, just amongst the defensive front. Uh, but I, I think that's a good idea to you know, rotate guys. You don't have a, you know, the J.J. Watts are gone, you know, Zach Allen, who obviously, uh, arguably was the Cardinals' best uh, you know, front seven player last season, whether it be lineman or linebacker, uh, they're gone. So if you can just kind of rotate guys in and out and keep them fresh, I think that's the best approach the Cardinals could use this season. So how did the eye test match up with the analytics going into the ESPN analytics for the pass rush win rate? Once again, uh, the pass rusher is able to beat his block within two and a half seconds. That's the metric in which they use. The Cardinals as a team won 34% of the time. So that's 25th in the league. That's a little surprising considering they did have six sacks and you were talking about the commander's offensive line. Well, I think also, you know, I heard a thing on ES on uh, I, I'm sorry, I apologize. It was either on ESPN or an NFL Network that no quarterback held the ball longer in the pocket in Week One than Sam Howell did. That definitely matches the eye test, including the Cardinals' lone touchdown in that game when he should have got rid of that ball easily uh, before he got strip sacked and they gave up a touchdown. Uh, and the Cardinals got their sixth, you know, their one touchdown of the game. So I think that that might be factored in there is that, you know, that, you know, Hal held onto the ball way too long when he had numerous opportunities to get rid of it. I know at least one of those sacks was in a complete, you know, pass blocking bust and it was just an unevaded pass rusher who got to Hal. Uh, just conversely here, the best team uh, for week one was the Bills at 70%, the Browns at 70%, and then we talk a lot about that Eagles front. They were third at 65% with their pass rush win rate. I'm just going to keep saying okay. pass rush win rate to try to get it right. Okay. Well, you can practice it here for a minute because I'll ramble on for a couple of seconds here. Uh, but uh, you know, I'm glad you mentioned a couple of those teams. Uh, because we talked about how you know the Giants. I forgot the second team. Uh, who was the second the, team? The uh, Browns. Group? Yes, the Browns. We talked about how the Bengals' offensive line. It was just I can't understand this. And I've seen some more highlights since uh, we talked on Monday during the extra point. 
they just seemed to be completely unprepared, the Bengals' offense did, of how to block the most basic blitz you've ever seen in your life. And Joe Burrow, who has been very good against the blitz in his first couple of years, uh, was awful in every area, but especially against the Blitz. And they, you know, Jim Schwartz is a blitzing machine. He's the new defensive coordinator in Cleveland. But yeah, you know, so that that definitely backs up you know, the eye test of what, which I don't even think there's an eye test involved. I mean, it was just like you know, you know I mentioned turnstile. Uh, I use that a lot when I talk about pass blockers who don't block anybody. The entire Bengals' offensive line was a turnstile against blitzes, including blitz pickups from their running backs who seemed to have no clue of who they were supposed to pick up. They were just completely baffled the whole game. More from Cardinals defensive coordinator Nick Rollis here. I figured you have been on him from the start, probably before anyone else was, so why not continue to talk about him and give you credit where credit's due for identifying Jalen Thompson here. Uh, Nick Rollis was asked what does he like about Jalen Thompson, especially when he's playing in the nickel position, and he said a lot of things. He can cover, to put it simply. He's sticky in the slot, and then he goes on to talk about how it's changed a little bit with wide receivers being in the slot, whether or not it's a guy who's very quick and twitchy, whether it's a guy who's trying to kind of beat you deep. So there's a very variety of different ways that offenses are now trying to utilize wide receivers in the slot. He goes on to say that it's a hard position to play because you get matched up with the quick guys, and it's also a thinking position. So you have to have all these traits and be smart, and Jalen has those traits, so he fits really good there. I'll just add one thing that the first thing I noticed from Jalen Thompson when he was at Washington State is it just stood, what got my attention immediately. He's a tremendous tackler uh, in open field situations, whether it be a running play or a passing play. And a lot of the time at Washington State, it was more running play that uh, he came up and made a stop at the at the line of scrimmage, etc. And, and when you you know, kind of when you see a defensive player. Stand out in the Pac-12, whether it be now or really for the last 20 years, you kind of go, whoa, defensive play in the Pac-12. And I was very excited when the Cardinals were actually able to select uh, Thompson in the supplemental draft. He's a really good player. Uh, bad, stupid personal foul penalty in part of that, uh, you know, that first drive when they gave up the 67 yards and penalties and the 91-yard touchdown drive. Uh, from the uh, from the commanders on Sunday but uh, other than that I thought he was really good and uh, he's a good player and yeah I think I guess that they chose him over Isaiah Simmons which is probably a good choice but uh, we'll see Simmons this week and in actually uh, the Giants didn't do much right on Sunday night but I thought Simmons made a couple of really good plays on defense and it seems like he's an outside linebacker and pass rusher for them you had mentioned there about the silly penalty that Jalen Thompson had there. He wasn't the only one. Kaiser White comes to mind, a few other players as well. And yeah. the language in which, you know, the uh, Cardinals coaching staff uses, they want to play with violence. They want to be aggressive. So Nick Rollis was asked about, you know, what can you do to help facilitate playing with violence but being smarter about it and playing within the whistle uh he did talk about how it is really important that you play violently within the rules because the rules are in place for safety reasons so trying to figure out how to yeah. uh you know because they're not out there trying to hurt people intelligent violence is that that actually could have those words be put together i just did but uh <laughs> that would seem to be the best approach there
Well, there was one time I uh, talked about in golf, uh, you know, how you attack certain flag sticks. And I uh, uh, used the example of saying, well, you have to be smartly aggressive. So, you know. We can that's we can probably, use that there. That's probably that's probably better than what I said. <laughs> I'm on. I, I, I'm going for your phrase. That's fair, good. Fair enough. Uh, how do you evaluate the Giants? That's the last question I wanted to touch on about what Nick Rawls had to say from yesterday meeting the media. Uh, in terms of what you can take away from last year, and can you take anything away from Sunday night's contest here? He said, "I think you look at it all. They've had some roster changes this offseason that you definitely have to." To take into consideration some really good players that they've added so you have to look at it all obviously uh D- daniel jones with his ability to get outside the pocket and be a runner and then obviously having saquon barkley as well well i, I think the first thing that i would uh, you know i already talked about in the sports zone and uh, guessing this i don't know if i'm going to talk about it every day this week but andrew thomas left tackle for the giants he's really good and he was injured, suffered a hamstring injury on that kickoff, uh, that kick block, the kick, the blocked field goal, uh, when they uh, he was trying to race down the field or quote unquote race for a left tackle. Uh, but anyway, uh, he injured his hamstring on that play. They thought he might be seriously injured. They left him in the game through the third. He was playing in the third quarter of a game that was over, like in the first quarter. So I have no idea why he was still out there. But they left him in there. He had an MRI. Uh, there's nothing terribly serious long-term, but he may not play this week uh, in Game 2 and Week 2 against the Cardinals. So if the Cardinals uh, have an offense or, excuse me, have a defensive possibility to go against a, a, an offensive line without their best player by far, and what I think is kind of a weak offensive line to begin with, at least a – I think a lot of people would think the biggest question of the Giants before the season started, well, offensively, certainly the offensive line, defensively the two rookie corners, but uh, but I think both those areas, well, the, the corners weren't very, they weren't exploited much on Sunday because the Cowboys never really had to They throw didn't the have ball. to. You're right, but certainly the offensive line was terrible. Uh, and uh, if they don't have their best offensive lineman by far, Uh, the Cardinals should have a defensive advantage this Sunday. Before we get to Nate Davis's power rankings on the other side of the break, there is one thing that caught my attention. It really seems like road teams played well in week one. So I calculated how many road teams won, and then I wanted to see if that was consistent with what's happened last year and the year before, and maybe some thoughts as to what's going on with such road success. So we'll get into that in addition to Nate Davis's power rankings and your phone calls if you'd like to join the program. 602-260-1060. 602-260-1060 is the number. Give us a call now, and we'll talk to you on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point on this Wednesday, September 13th. HD Radio is here for KDUS AM 1060. Check out your favorite shows and games on 100.7 KSLX HD2. Ten 
37 here on KDOS AM 1060. It is the Extra Point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortlaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Continuing the NFL conversation. We'll get to the power rankings here from Nate Davis in just a minute. But it, it caught my attention that the road team seemed to play well in week number one and so I calculated it out and it came out to 10 wins for road teams in week one home teams won six of the games last year I went back and I saw that nine road wins in week one and in 2021 there were eight road wins so it's getting better in here the last couple of years but I'm just kind of curious because I is there something to it having so much preparation time that maybe traveling on the road for week one is not as big of a deal when when you think about some of the other travel uh, implications that happen throughout the rest of the season? Um, I appreciate all your hard work there, but I, it's been several years since I really paid that much attention to home and road unless you've got teams that are just so good at home that you almost have to always uh, take them or don't take anybody in the game. But I think there's fewer of those teams than we've ever seen before. In addition, there are more bad teams in the NFL than we've seen in recent years. So I don't really pay that much attention, or I should rephrase that, as much attention as, say, 15 years ago, when I think that home and road splits were much more um, accurate and relevant than they have been in recent years. And I just haven't paid that much attention. If you have a team that I just think is a better, you know, this is maybe a bad example because the Bears may never beat the Packers ever. <laughs> but I didn't understand all this crap about the, the Bears last week. And, you know, they're, you know they've you know, been gearing up and Aaron Rodgers is gone or whatever. I'm sorry, the, the Packers are just a far superior team, especially – up front on both sides of the ball. I don't care if they play them in Green Bay, Chicago, or on Mars. They're not going to beat them. I agreed with you about the Packers. I was a little surprised there about how much love the Bears were getting to win that game. Uh, but interesting there. Uh, so I guess when we think about this in terms of, you know, Friday with Friday spread, that the home and road splits are not really something that you factor in then um, in the last recent years, right? That's kind of what I'm hearing. Not often. I mean, that's it, a, yeah, it's a, you know, you think about it, but you mean, you just, you know, if you, if you have a team that you think is vastly superior, uh, I really don't care where they're playing for the most part. I'm sure there, you know, there's going to be a, a time or two where I disagree, but you know, even look at the, uh, you know, Seattle. It was shocking when they ever lost a home game for a long time. I mean, they were really good. But, you know, they were, you know, playing in Seattle was, you know, the 12s and all that stuff, which I think at one time was legitimate. But, you know, they haven't really had a home field advantage with frequency for several years running, including the last two or three years when Russell Wilson was there. I think maybe that's where I went wrong in week one, thinking that, you know, that home field advantage for Seattle uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, the Rams are just able to completely dominate. I know that they ended up losing a couple of key offensive linemen for the Seahawks, but then you also factor in too, Foxborough has not been what it has been in the Brady era for winning home games there. The Eagles are able to go in and get a victory. It's amazing what happens when you have better players uh, than the opponent. Uh, 
You know, I think that uh, I like New England's defense, but as I've said many times for three years running now, uh, since Brady's been gone, three seasons running since Brady's been gone, they just don't have offensive playmakers. I could care less who's calling the plays. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter if you don't have a quarterback that is anything more than above average or guys that can help that guy out. We'll leave that there and we'll get into the NFL power rankings uh, from USA Today is Nate Davis here. And he has, we'll start number one and go down. Number one, he has the 49ers and he talks about how uh, it's impressive to fly across the country and beat a supposed contender by 23 points. Uh, The Niners certainly dominated in every phase. And when I look at this in between what I think potentially could be one or two, I, I think it is because it was such a complete performance and uh you know not uh, uh, to me it would be between the cowboys but i think at that point it maybe is a little unfair because they had such a ginormous lead that they didn't they didn't we didn't have to see their arsenal of how things have changed for them but for the 49ers it was just complete from top to bottom agreed um yeah, he mentioned the term "supposed contender" there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's you know, the Steelers, and I never quite bought into the Steelers. And I obviously have never been high on the Giants this year. I got duped into thinking they were going to be bad early last year, but then I kind of figured out I was wrong about that. Luckily, I figured that. Luckily, I tried to say. I figured that out like a week or two into the season last year. Man, am I wrong about this team? And I think that's one thing we need to kind of think about now is that I know it's just one small window of one game and so forth to this point, but there are teams, I'm stubborn as hell. uh, And I've gotten, I think, better at this. Uh, admitting early in the season, man, I could really be wrong about this team. I need to see more than one game for the most part, unless there's you know something that just kind of confirms exactly what I thought about a team, uh, or vice versa. But you know the you know don't you know try not to be too stubborn. Then that's something I've been telling myself for years. Whether it's you know evaluating sports teams or life in general. Uh, it's something I've, I think I've gotten a little bit better at and definitely have gotten better at as far as the NFL. Uh, and uh, So just don't completely either A, jump to conclusions or you know just, just stick to your guns too long on a team that you see some things that you realize, man, I could be really wrong about this team. You have to admit that at some point. I'm surprised here for number two on Nate Davis's list. Uh, He has the Eagles, and he goes on to say that, you know, yes, there were two new coordinators on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball, uh, seemingly a running back by committee situation here. uh, But they did go into Foxborough, get the victory. I think for me, uh, I, you did see that the Patriots were able to exploit the middle of the field a little bit. So curious to see how those adjustments are made. I know heading into Thursday night's contest, Kenneth Gainwell has been popping up on the injury report, not practicing. So that could be uh, yeah, a bit of he's an... Not, he's almost for sure not going to play, according to what I just saw a few moments ago. Okay, so uh, that could be a precarious situation for them on the offensive side of the ball but you know they still have one of the best defensive fronts they still have one of the best offensive fronts they're still really good they are uh and they really didn't do much at all on offense i think the patriots are a very good defense uh so i wasn't all that shocked that uh you know the uh, eagles didn't move the ball up and down the field 
I was really surprised that Dallas Goddard had zero catches, and so was Nick Sirianni. Uh, in fact, uh, I don't remember if it was after the game on Sunday or Monday, uh, but he basically promised that will never happen again. <laughs> so uh, that's very important because I and many fantasy owners were zero catches. What the hell's going on there? Uh, so, you know, but not a one. Uh, so we'll see what's up with that. Uh, not just uh, the Gainwell situation. There's a short week for the Eagles. Remember, they play uh, tomorrow night. Uh, Jacoby Dean, they actually seems like they got lucky with him. They're, he's avoiding surgery, quote-unquote, but he's going to be out for a while. Uh, and then Bradbury with the concussion situation, short week, kind of unlikely it seems like he's going to play. You know, we've seen very few guys uh, seemingly. I don't have a, you know, a, like a, a, you know, a, a chart here of this, but seems like guys that are a concussion protocol and play a Thursday game, they're most likely not going to play that Thursday game uh, in the short week. Uh, so I'm guessing that he's not going to play either. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Vikings under their side of things, and that's just that game is that, you know, they lost Bradbury, their starting center, uh, for apparently at least this game. So uh, that, that's not a good thing for the, uh, for the Vikings this week either. Uh, yeah, that's not great. And then you also have primetime Kirk rolling in. That would be true. I, I yeah, kind of forgot about that part. Uh, you know, actually, the one thing to watch, you know, you know kind of you know, use this tomorrow too, but Justin Jefferson against uh, Darius Slay, right? So that should be a pretty that good matchup. That should be fun. Yeah. Number three on Nate Davis's uh, power rankings here is the Cowboys. I would have them at number two personally, but I think that uh, – you know, maybe it's because we didn't see what this new look offense is going to look like because they just got off to such a dynamic start on special teams and defense. And boy, was that defense special, though, in that game. Yeah, it was. Uh, no question. Um, they have you know, a whole bunch of pass rushers. I think the one thing that maybe wasn't talked about or maybe I didn't talk about it, I certainly didn't talk about it enough, is that you know not only do they have Diggs on one side who's still kind of a you know, hit or miss proposition, but they also have Stephon Gilmore, so that gives them two cover corners now, and that just seems to completely coincide with their massive group of pass rushers, seven sacks the other night from seven different guys, and that's not a fluke because they've got you know we talked about the Cardinals with the rotation guys. You know, the Cowboys do the rotation guys as far as a lot of their you know, down linemen and so forth. But needless to say, those guys are better than the Cardinals rotation guys. Uh, you know, ever having watched Stefan Gilmore for a lot of time, obviously he is a tremendous corner here. And I thought that he was going to obviously help bolster that defense there and allow Dan, Dan Quinn to have so many different uh, ways yeah. to attack you offensively here. I am curious, though, once they do go up against uh, a little bit more of a, an elite wide receiver bunch. That would be helpful, but it may not really matter if you can't you know, if you can't block the Cowboys' defensive front and those two guys are the corners. Um, you know, what I'm curious about is why is Gilmore on a different team every year? Well, you know, he probably didn't want to stay in Indianapolis, right? <laughs> Get me well, out of here. You know, it's four teams in four years now, right? So it is an interesting deal. I mean, he's like Brandon. He's like the Brandon Cooks, who's also on the Cowboys. <laughs> Uh, you know, why is this guy on a different team every year? Because he's really good. 
Number four on this list is the Kansas City Chiefs. I think for me personally here, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. Once you get uh, Travis Kelsey back, I think that certainly helps with the offense. Uh, Chris Jones on the defense will be a huge difference maker for them. But offensively for that offensive line, got to get that tackle situation figured out. That's true. Uh, the Kelsey thing was, you know, it's kind of interesting what's going on with him as far as these reports. Uh, there seem to be indications from some of the insiders on Sunday that he'll be back in week two. Uh, but then, you know, some of the medical you know, experts on various networks or on podcasts indicated yesterday that he had a significant amount of fluid drained from his knee. And he's anything for sure to play in week two at Jacksonville. Number five on this list is the Detroit Lions here. Nate Davis says that, yes, they caught Casey a bit shorthanded, but credit Detroit for surrendering just 316 yards, a level uh, 2022's league-worst defense kept opponents under just three times. For me, Aiden Hutchinson, he certainly uh, was the story on defense for them. He was the best player in the field last Thursday night. Uh, They couldn't block him. Uh, and that wasn't just the tackles, who obviously weren't good. But, you know, there are two guards in the center. Those are supposed to be uh, collectively maybe the best group of three guys in that position. Maybe Dallas would rival that a little bit. But there's not too many teams in the, in the NFL that have, you know, considered to have two better guards in the center. And he destroyed them, too. <laughs> so he just completely dominated that, dominated that game. I need to make a correction, by the way, while thinking about this regarding Detroit. Last week, uh, last Friday, I said that Dan Campbell punted twice uh, inside the 40-yard line in the second half of that game. That was only He only did that once, so my bad on that. What do you make of this narrative that Detroit is surrounding themselves? Obviously, Aiden Hutch in the pass rush there. They've made some adjustments in the offseason to try to help shore up the defense. They have different playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. Amon Ross, St. Brown at wide receiver, and then Jameer Gibbs and how he's going to continue to be unleashed, hopefully. Uh, but that Jared Goff is the, the position that's holding them back. No, I don't think that at all. I mean, I think that you know, Goff has done a he's done a tremendous job. You know, he's he was the best in the NFL last year on third down of any quarterback. Uh, you know, they they kept the offensive coordinator Johnson, who I wanted the Cardinals to hire, uh, but he was smart and stayed away from here. Uh, he'll get a better head coaching job anywhere next season than he would have had if he took the Cardinals job. So good good choice by him. Now, I'm not sure if he was offered the job, but uh, he dropped out of that uh, running pretty quickly, or they dropped, you know, however that didn't work out, that's good for him. Uh, and I can imagine there's going to be more Detroit hype next week because if Seattle doesn't have their two offensive tackles, Cross and Lucas, uh, the uh, Detroit front is going, and Hutchinson's going to feast again this weekend in the home opener in Detroit. I agree with you. I think that Jared Goff has, at least in Detroit, something seemingly has clicked for him that oh, yeah. uh, he's more more than serviceable. The dude got him to the Super Bowl, too. I mean, he, you know, he, he sucked towards the end, but that was, you know, the offensive line broke down and the receivers weren't as good. We'll continue on with these NFL power rankings on the other side of the break as we wrap up our number one next right here on KDUS AM 1060.
need social information about KDUS AM 1060, try KDUS1060.com at KDUS AM 1060 on Twitter and Facebook.com slash KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. We'll whip through 6 through 10 of USA Today's Nate Davis power rankings following week number one. Coming in at number six here is the Cleveland Browns, and I think you have to say, well, that defense dominated the Cincinnati Bengals. Nick Chubb looked good as expected. Uh, You have questions there as to how Deshaun Watson will play moving forward. I think the weather kind of maybe hampered some of uh, that process from unfolding and, and revealing itself. That's true. You know, I talked up Watson a little bit on Monday after watching some highlights and a little more of that game since then. I might think I overreacted. Uh, he didn't have as many as uh, as many good throws as I thought he had. So I need to see a lot more from him and them other than one game. Number seven here is the Jaguars. Uh, you had the emergence of Calvin Ridley there in the first half. I'm curious, though, here just how this team is going to to move forward because it seemed to be a bit of a struggle, maybe more than it needed to be against the Colts. They could have lost this game. Uh, they really could have. Uh, major questions about their offensive line before this season. Uh, after one week, I still have major questions about their offensive line. And also wonder if they've got enough playmakers on defense, which I thought before the game and after the game. Number eight here is the Buffalo Bills. Obviously, the story here was Josh Allen and his struggles. Yeah, um, you're on your way uh, with the Bills under win total. Uh, <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> so, yeah, you know the uh, you know the punt return that was that was a good thing. I thought of you when that happened. So congratulations, you're off to a good start there. Uh, Josh Allen is now zero and five of over in overtime games. That's the most losses of any quarterback ever in overtime without a win in overtime. Number nine here is the Bengals, and number ten is the Dolphins. I would definitely have the Dolphins higher up on this list. I'm not going to jump to conclusions because they beat the worst coach team in the NFL. I'm curious to see how, because again, we talk about how sometimes uh, Tua has had Bill Belichick's number, this defense, how that works out, and then what ways in which uh, Bill O'Brien is able to exploit the uh, defense because running the ball, Austin Eckler had himself a day against that uh, Dolphins defense. But he got hurt, unfortunately, and probably isn't going to play this week. Hour number two is coming up on the other side of the break. It is the extra point. 